the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com. Or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now... Here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Great to be with you today as we are together each and every every day, Monday through Friday from 3 to 5 right here. We talk about issues of the day from the Christian perspective. And, uh, you know, today the big story, of course, of the day is three United States soldiers were killed and dozens more wounded in a drone strike by a pro-Iranian militia on a U.S. outpost in Jordan overnight this weekend. And um, I guess this happened on Saturday. We learned about it on Sunday. And it's the most serious attack on U.S. forces in the Middle East since Hamas launched its October 7th attack. We've had forces there in these outposts. We had a guest on a little while ago who talked about being stationed at one of those. If you remember uh, the chaplain, his name was Mark Kitsko, talked about that. And the drones flying over then and the concern that uh, everybody had. I don't don't know that he was at this particular one. He didn't say. Uh, But this is after 160 attacks on our soldiers in the region since the October 7th Hamas attack in Israel. This is the first one where American soldiers have been killed. This is uh, President Biden or or Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin talking about uh, his response and President Biden's response. With my outrage and sorrow for the death of three brave U.S. troops in Jordan and for the other troops who were wounded, the president and I will not tolerate attack on U.S. forces and we will take all necessary actions to defend the U.S. and our troops. We don't know what that'll mean yet, except that uh, I would point out uh, is that there, this is the 160th attack. And many have pointed out that they have been tolerating it 160 times until then. It's not a, it is not a surprise that American troops are now dead here. And I want to emphasize, uh, you know, first of all, we want to talk about you know, we are we care for the families of these people who have died, who have been sent out to the Middle East to be in this place. And, uh, you know, they signed up for it, but they didn't sign up for it. I'll tell you what people in the military will say. You can join our conversation, by the way, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I talked to several people in the military today, and they said the problem isn't going out to one of these outposts. The problem is getting sent out away from your family and into harm's way and not knowing whether or not you will be protected by your government, not knowing whether or not you're just going out there to be a sitting duck. And for 160 times, that's basically what it is. There's been all kinds of different uh, accidents. And I want to talk about the idea of peace through strength, because that's something that is in the conversation today and and people, you know, being there with their uh, comments about whether or not the Biden administration is handling this well or not, and those kinds of things. And I also want to point out that the concept of peace through strength is something that you can apply to a whole lot of different things, not just military conflicts or even government levels. You know, why is it that uh, we have 
so many uh, break-ins happening in the, uh, you know, the CVS and the Walgreens are getting cleared out. Why? Well, if you know that you can get away with it, you'll keep doing it. Why is it that sometimes our kids uh, rebel, you know, or they won't obey us? Well, if your policy is don't do it and then you do it and then you don't do anything, well, then I guess you'll keep doing it. Right? There is something to be said about this. Uh, the Wall Street Journal in an editorial from their editorial board today laid the whole thing at Biden's feet. They said this, it was bound to happen eventually as President Biden was warned repeatedly. A drone or missile launched by Iran's militia proxies would elude U.S. defenses and kill American soldiers. That's what happened on Sunday as three Americans were killed and 25 wounded at the U.S. base in Jordan near the Syrian border. The question is, what will the commander in chief do about it? As of right now, uh, we still don't know. Right, It's been a long time and there's been no response. We don't know what they're going to do. And this is a good day to pray for your country, like I say, and to pray for your leaders. You know, we can change course. We can do things better. These outposts are there because this is partly how we did dealt with ISIS a few years ago. Remember, ISIS was this uh, Islamic group that wanted to instill the, the caliphate, basically to run the world. And they don't agree with Iran. There, there's Muslims who fight each other over inside theological debates. In fact, uh, ISIS recently uh, set off a terrorist attack inside Iran, and they're dealing with that. Uh, but we, when we were dealing with ISIS, what we did eventually, you know, for a few years, we just let them do whatever they wanted to, and we complained about it. And uh, now, then eventually, we we put a stop to it militarily, and then we put these little outposts here and there to control it. And that's how we have been doing things. Um, a Christmas day, just last Christmas, we have seen these attacks getting worse and worse coming from Iran. By the way, everybody agrees that they're coming from Iran, even though they might be launched from Syria or Jordan or uh, Iraq or Yemen or these other countries. Everybody agrees that Iran is behind all of it, even behind the Hamas uh, attacks in Israel and all of that. There is no serious debate about any of that. Um, the Wall Street Journal pointed out that Christmas Day, this past Christmas, a proxy attack in Iraq from Iran left a U.S. Army pilot in a coma. And last week, more than a month later, Chief Warrant Officer Garrett Illerbrun, I think is how you say his name, he was in a coma and he was finally sitting up in the chair for the first time for most of the day with uh, both eyes open and following his family, uh, uh, you know, their guidance and this has gone on. Were you aware of this? Were you aware of how seriously some of our military uh, troops have been injured during all of this? My understanding is, too, I don't know if this is confirmed, but this is the first air attack on U.S. forces in decades, actually, because usually we are able to knock these drones and the air, other aircraft just out of the sky. Uh, and then this didn't happen. Apparently, what's being reported now is that there was some confusion about whether it's our drone or whether it was the Iranian drones. Don't we have GPS on ours? Isn't there somebody with a phone that tracks them? Probably do. The Wall Street Journal went on to say this. They said the irony of Mr. Biden's strategy to avoid escalation with Iran above everyone else, above all else, is that now he'll have to strike back harder than if he had responded with devastating force the first time U.S. forces were hit and every time since. That probably includes hitting Iranian military or commercial assets. There are certainly risks of escalation from doing that. And that is the point here. This is the 160th attack on U.S. forces. And now that United States troops have been killed, a response is going to be required. That's how they're going to look at it. And it's going to be a lot worse than it would have been if they would have responded to Iran after the first one. And that is the idea of peace through strength. And I want to talk about that because when we are weak, 
when we are genuinely weak or whether we just give the impression that we are weak, then our enemies will take advantage of that. Or just people who we oversee, people who might want to disobey us, whatever the level is of your authority. When you are perceived as somebody who won't do anything about it, then the people who want to go against your authority, whatever that is, at whatever level, they'll just keep doing it. That's human nature. That's how we do it. That's the way it always is. And here's the thing. When you hear people talk about, and you're hearing this on the news right now in these kinds of conversations, I'll play a clip for you in a second. You're going to keep hearing about how we're concerned about an escalating battle with Iran. And I think I understand that concern. But here's the problem. We should be not worried in in the right world, the way it ought to be set up as the United States. We should not be worried about Iran escalating the conflict. Iran ought to be worried about the United States escalating the conflict. That's how you have peace. The way you have peace in these situations, the way you don't get shot at, the way the terrorists just stay in their hovels, the way that you put this down is by making sure that those who would do us harm know that the harm that would come upon them, should they go ahead and do that, will be so severe they will regret it. And see, something I think that we do not want to understand repeatedly as a country, and we're seeing this for sure in Iran. You see this with uh, many of the people who are protesting in favor of Hamas in in uh, many respects, is I don't think we want to believe that there are evil people in the world. I don't think that we want to believe that some people, they are just evil. Remember the Batman movie? There was a line in there about the Joker is not somebody who can be reasoned with. He just wants to see the world burn. There are people today who just want to see the world burn. They don't need jobs. The New York Times years ago said uh, what we need to do for the Taliban is just get them some jobs. If they're working at Starbucks or something, then they wouldn't want to kill us. That's not true. They have all kinds of reasons why they want to kill us. By the way, their job is being a terrorist. They like that job. And they get well paid, well taken care of by uh, the other terrorists in the group. And that is their job. There are some people who, yes, they might commit less crimes if they weren't impoverished, if they were helped in certain ways, if their situation was different, they might change. That's not a bad argument to have about some people in some situations. But there are some people who are motivated religiously, and in this case, that's what this is, for the death of the infidel, the death of those who would be opposed, the death of the great Satan, which is us, according to them, the death of us. They would like to kill us. The Hamas charter in the battle going on with Israel and Hamas, the Hamas charter flat out says we exist to kill Jews, to kill Jews wherever they are, first in Israel and take over Israel and then wherever they are in the world. And by the way, it's also to kill Christians and anybody else who disagrees with us. That's their stated goal. They aren't saying we are so tired of the poverty and so tired of whatever it is and the colonialism and whatever they say. That isn't it, because even those who become wealthy in all of this. Those who end up doing really well maintain the same belief because it is very, I think that we don't want to agree with that. I think that by we, I don't mean you and me. I mean that as as human beings, we have a hard time for most of us believing that some people just want to do evil, that some people hate at such a degree that they just want to kill people for the sake of them being people they disagree with and that they will keep doing that, that there is no policy that is going to work. See, and that's the point that I would make here is that every time you hear about us being concerned about Iran escalating a conflict, the position that we ought to be in is that Iran should be worried that we would escalate the conflict. That's how you keep them from doing this.
That is what it means to have peace through strength. See, don't is not a policy. And that is where President Biden is getting a lot of criticism because this has been the policy of the Biden administration with respect to how in the world do you keep uh, the Iranians or the Houthis or all these other groups from attacking U.S. troops and interests? And here's uh, many different people in the administration saying the same thing. And what's the message to Iran? Don't. It was very important to send a very clear message to anyone who might seek to take advantage of the conflict in Gaza to threaten our personnel uh, here or anywhere else in the region. Don't do it. What is your message to Hezbollah and its backer, Iran. Don't. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> I've already delivered the message to Iran. They know not to do anything. The idea is don't. Let me ask you something. In your personal life, whether you're a parent or maybe you're a grandparent and you're taking care of your grandkids, or you are an employer and you have a policy manual, what good is the word don't? if you don't follow through with some kind of consequence. It's no good. It doesn't work. Don't is not a policy. And it's not a threat if it doesn't mean anything behind it. See, that's the thing that is the problem here. And people are realizing this. This is Dana Bash on CNN. This is by far the most direct, the most deadly uh, when it comes to what has happened in the Middle East to U.S. troops since October 7th. Looking at this and, and more broadly, Have U.S. deterrence policies failed? I mean, how will the president's response be different this time? Well, look, what we saw last night, uh, what we saw yesterday was uh, lethal action that impacted our service members. And that's something that uh, weighs heavily on this building, that weighs heavily on the secretary. Um, Our thoughts and prayers are certainly with those service members and their families. Um, But when you look at the wider region, when you look at what's happening in the region, we know tensions are high. But the conflict that's happening between Israel and Gaza has been contained to Gaza. And we have seen multiple attacks um, on our service members in Iraq and Syria uh, that have been largely unsuccessful. Uh, Minor injuries, minor damage to infrastructure. Unfortunately, yesterday we saw um, a lethal action. And that is, uh, and Dana Bash is responding going, what are you talking about? It's being contained to Gaza. We just lost three troops. You have 160 different attacks. You have shipping organizations refusing to go through the Red Sea, which means they got to sail all around uh, the uh, the Horn of Africa in order to deliver goods. It's world economy, right? This affects food on the table for people all around the world. There are so many things where this is becoming a huge problem. And the issue is that you cannot have a policy of don't and not be prepared to follow through. You've got to be able to have peace through strength. And this has been the the problem all along. I've already delivered the message to Rand. They know not to do anything. He's delivered the message to They didn't get it. I don't know if he sent it one third party. You know, maybe it was a fax. You know, I don't know if you check your fax machine these days. Maybe you've unhooked it. The Iranians have not gotten the message, don't. They have gotten the message, I'm going to keep doing this until you do. That's the message they understand. And this shouldn't be new. See, and this is this is what's getting me today. Because if you start applying this to just about anything that we're going through. Why did Vladimir Putin feel like he was free to take Crimea in 2014 from Ukraine? The reason is because he felt pretty confident, and rightly so, 
that no one would do anything and nobody did. And then why did he feel free to invade Ukraine, full on invasion in 2022? You know why? Because nobody did anything in 2014. Why would they do anything now? That's the attitude. Why did Hamas feel free to break the ceasefire that was already there? Why did everyone from around the world, you know, why is everyone from around the world coming to America right now to cross the border illegally? We've always had illegal immigration going on. It's been an issue for a long time. Why is it so many people now? 10,000 people a day. And something that's being proposed is, well, once it reaches 5,000, then we will shut the border down. You know that 5,000 people a day is more than any one day during the Trump or Obama administration. It is, and these are people not just coming from Central America or Mexico or this hemisphere. These are people coming from all around the world. How easy is it to get from uh, African countries or Middle Eastern countries or Asia into South America or Central America and work your way up to cross the border in the United States? How is that even worth it? It's worth it if you know they're not going to do anything about it. See, that's the thing. And you can apply this to all. Why do criminals continue to rob stores? Why is the CVS getting uh, smashed? Why is it that you can't buy underwear without lock and key at the Target and the Walmart in some communities? Now, why is the In-N-Out closing in Oakland? You know about the story? It's the only In-N-Out in the world that has ever closed. You know, they've relocated and other stuff, but it's the only one that's ever closed. Why? It's crime. You know why the crime is getting that bad? Because we won't do anything about it. And the criminals know that. And see, that's that's the way it is. In fact, we don't even call them crimes anymore, some of them. Or we've lowered it to such a misdemeanor that there's no penalty. So even though it's a crime and maybe you get arrested, you get processed, you get fingerprinted, somebody takes your picture, then you can go out and just do it again. Why does this keep happening? Because we won't do anything. Why do kids disobey their parents? You know what? Kids are always rebellious. It's part of parenting. But I'll tell you what, as a parent, and I know, when we say don't, and then they do, and then we don't do anything, they learn that, and they learn how to push the envelope. And some parents won't do anything ever. Why is it that kids in school feel that they can disrespect teachers today? I mean, it's the stories that many of you have as teachers for what the kids are doing to you are horrific. And you know why the kids are doing that today? It's not because kids are different today than they were back in the 40s or 50s. It's because back in the 40s or 50s, the school and the parents would have done something. And today they don't. My sister was for a brief period of time uh, teaching at a school and she actually had a kid say to her, she tried to stop a fist fight from happening. And the kid looked at her and said, what are you going to do about it? And she said, well, I'll send you to the principal's office. And the kid said, it's totally worth it. And then beats up this kid right in front of her anyway. Yeah, she sent him to the principal's office and the principal office called the parents. The parents didn't do anything. And the kid was back in her classroom the next day with no consequence at all. You got a thought about this, Jose. You thinking about this? I mean, it's that, you know, the reason that that kid is doing that is because that kid was smart enough to know you're not doing anything. I won't be expelled. I won't be suspended. And my parents won't even say anything. I'm going to punch this kid in the face anyway. I don't hear you. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, fact about me. I used to work with kids yeah. before this. And, uh, yeah, a lot of them nowadays don't seem to have manners. I mean, back when I went to school, I'm from a Hispanic household. So if, like, I did anything wrong, my mom would, you know, she would hit me and tell me, you know, what you did was wrong. And this is what you should have done. But nowadays, it's like parents just don't want to do that to their kids for some reason. 
Yeah, we've stopped parenting. We have, and we might say don't, but sometimes we're on the kid's side, even though the kid's punching somebody in the face. And then parents today, teachers tell me that they come against, you know, the, the parent and the student are on the same side against the teacher when the teacher is right about the situation. See, and this is one of the things of why this is getting bad. We're going to have to take a break here. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. And the point I'm making here is that the idea of peace through strength, we're talking about that from an international perspective with terrorism and war today, and it matters, and it, you know it certainly does. But here's the thing. Parents and kids, it's the same thing with presidents and terrorists. Not saying your kid is a terrorist, all right? Peace through strength, it matters. You've got to follow through with what you need to do with the responsibility that you've been given. And if you don't, disaster is coming. And we're seeing that at every level. It's all the same mindset that's wrong. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show. Follow us on social media at Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. What I will say, our deepest, uh, obviously our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave uh, three brave, uh, three brave of uh, three folks who are, who are military folks who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration of the American people. Obviously, more so, more importantly, uh, we lost those souls. That was Karine Jean Pierre and uh, giving her response to three um, American servicemen who were killed, men or women, I guess. I think they're all men. I think they released the names that were killed. Uh, in Jordan by one of these drone strikes. She's getting criticized a lot for her response there because she stutters through and calls them folks that they're working for the administration, which they are, but they're working for the American people, right? That's uh, who they're protecting. And, and you know, there's a part of me, I listen to that, and we've been talking about the, the need for peace through strength and how that principle works, not just for the government, but also works for us in our parenting or us in our schools, us with our police departments, wherever it is, even in your company, You know, if you have policies that you don't enforce and people break those policies and it harms the company, but you don't enforce them, then uh, you know what? You you aren't going to be a company very long. That's just how it works. When I was uh, back in business, this is back in the 90s, okay? I was early 90s. I was working for a company where, and the internet was brand new. And there began to be a pornography problem with employees, right? And back then, all of the web traffic and everything, I don't even know how this works today, but all of it went through the same server with the company. And so they knew what everybody might have been doing on their computers and whatever internet site. And they put out a policy that said, hey, if we catch you going to these particular sites you're on work time, you're going to, on work computer, you're going to get fired. And back then, they actually said, and we're going to publish your name to the whole company. That's what the policy was. And one night, we were working late. And we were walking out of one of the buildings, this large company. It was a big uh, uh, defense contractor, mostly high technology company. About half of what they did was defense. Other stuff was just uh, high tech stuff. We're walking out, and this guy's in his office, and his window's open. And he's got a big computer screen, and he's watching the, the stuff, right? And we all there, like, well, he's getting fired. And sure enough, the next day, he was fired, and they told us what he did. They published his name. I don't even think you can do that. It probably became illegal right away, but that's what they did. They followed through, and that taught people a lesson really fast. Hey, you don't do this at this company. 
right? But if you don't do that, you know what would have happened? Everybody would have been doing that, and then no one would have been getting anything done, and uh, the company would be in trouble, which is probably happening to a lot of places, a lot of things today. Um, you know, what's eventually going to happen here at some point, and this is the, the Wall Street Journal pointed out, the irony of the strategy of not wanting to escalate with Iran, is that now... President Biden's going to have to do something. He's going to have to somehow respond. And he's waited so long, as far as we know, that uh, Iran has probably, you know, evacuated whatever place. And whatever he does, it's going to sound strong, but it's probably not. You know, we don't know what he's going to do, but whatever he has to do is probably a lot harsher and risks escalation into war more than he would have if he would have just done something at the first of the 160 attacks to say no. That is the deal. You know, I read this and the thing is, is, you know, eventually we'll do something and Iran knows it'll come eventually. But until then, you know, if I can just do this, how many U.S. troops can I kill? How many of U.S. interests can I uh, undo? What kind of pressure can I put on Israel because of this thing with Gaza? What can I do to the world, you know, economy, other stuff? All of that's going to happen until somebody finally hits hard. That's the way it is. I'm going to keep coming up over the border until they finally do something. I'm going to uh, do whatever I can. I'm going to keep stealing and I'm going to keep doing things until I actually go to jail. Right? That's what's going to happen. And the, it's always the case. Always, always, always. I read this sad tweet today. Uh, this is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557. You got an example of something where somebody either didn't use their authority that they had and then things went crazy or got much worse, or maybe they did and they put a stop to something right away. Uh, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I read this sad tweet today. It's from a dad. And he said today, and he was generalizing, but I think he was probably talking about himself also. He said, dads cannot get their boys ages 10 to 18 to do anything with them. They won't go camping, they won't go play tennis, they won't go on hikes, they won't go bowling, they won't go on bike rides, and they won't do any hobbies or other projects because they're all addicted to video games. And it was this sad tweet. I've got two boys. I've got two boys who would love nothing else than to play video games all day long. When I was young, that's what I would have done all day long. And and we didn't even have the fancy stuff you got now. I had, you know, lousy Mario Brothers uh, 1, you know, that's what I had. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is I thought this and I thought, well, what should these fathers do? You know what they should do? Turn off the games and go for a drive anyway. Turn off the games and go for a hike. And turn off the games and go out. You know, why did it get to the point where dads feel like I can't do anything with my sons because they're so addicted to video games? And then the response is to just say, oh, well, he's 10. You know, he said this 10, 18, OK, 18, maybe an adult thing, do their own thing. But you know what? Turn off the games and go do the thing. And I get it. It's hard. My boys might be listening. And James and John, I love you. And I'm not telling on you. You just kind of know how it is. But whenever we make plans for a Saturday or a Sunday or an evening, some place where they thought they would get to play their video games. And we restrict it, by the way. We restrict it a couple hours a day on the weekends, never during the week, right? It's just they don't get a lot of video game time. And we are so glad that they're playing sports. And uh, this week, uh, James was in a robotic competition. It was robotics things. Uh, I should talk about that. I'll talk about that later maybe. But uh, it was really impressive. So glad. It was all day and so important. It's him and, you know, a couple hundred kids, all of whom who are going to have jobs later in life because of what they're pursuing. They all could have been staying home playing video games all day and doing nothing, right? You, you do it. So my boys will give us grief 
when we make plans to go do something that does not involve video games or that in their eyes will, in their perception, it will take away whatever video game time they're going to have. And they'll complain about it. And they will be upset about it. And you know what we do? We do the other thing anyway. They, you know, and as much as they might roll their eyes and give us a little grief and it uh, and some grouchiness, you know, and then I make some dad statement about saying, I'm going to put those things in the trash. I'm going to take those things to work and I'm going to play video games. If you don't shut your mouth right now, if you don't talk to your mother that way, if you do this kind of thing, we are going to go out and we're going to have a good time and you're going to enjoy it. You know, it's, I say, I find myself saying that kind of stuff. You know what? It is worth it. And you know what happens is that whenever we go do something, it turns out they enjoy it too. It turns out that your kids or your, in another context, your students, your employees, they respond well to direction and discipline. People do. And countries do. That's the notion behind peace through strength is that if you're strong enough so that the other party, the enemy worries that you might do something really bad to them if they attack you, then they don't. But if they're not worried about it, then they're going to give it a try. And that's what we're seeing in the Middle East. But that's also what we're seeing in our schools. And I had conversations in in between here with other people about the stuff that happened in their schools. Some of you are dealing with stuff in your schools that never would have happened when I was a kid. There are things that if I would have said to my teacher, certain things that I know some kids are saying to teachers now, uh, I would have been, it would have, the discipline at home would have been brutal. I would have been terrified to go home. We had spankings in school. Like in my school, I'm the last generation where they would actually spank us in the school. We had a storage room that was in between the third and fourth grade room and the seventh and eighth grade room. There was a big storage room and there was a big paddle in there. I've told this story before. There's two paddles in there. One was a solid piece of wood and the other one was a piece of wood that looked like a paddle but it had holes drilled in it. And you got to choose which paddle you want. And you would choose, you made a mistake if you choose the one with the holes because the one with the holes actually hurt worse because there was no wind resistance, you know, just bam, you know. And you know what? Those kids didn't, uh, those kids obeyed. Not saying that that's the way, but that was the threat that was made. And if you broke the rule, you got that. And parents signed off on that in the day. That this has got to change. You know, I'll tell you what, my kids, you know, it's just, when you take them out, it's better than just they're staring at the screens. It's better than uh, Christy likes to call them the rectangles. You know, why are we staring at our rectangles? We got a rectangular phone and a rectangular iPad and a rectangular Nintendo Switch and a rectangular TV on the wall. There is so much more that you can do. And if you are a parent, you're a person of authority, you have the right to say, we're not doing this right now. We're going to do something else. We're going to set up some boundaries around this stuff. And that's something that I think that we've lost from parents and kids to teachers and students, from school districts and students, from police and citizens, from presidents and terrorists, everybody in between. Peace through strength is something that works. If you don't want a war, then build up enough strength so that enemies won't attack you. You know, if you want your business or your church or your family to function well, then build up enough credibility with discipline and with policies and principles and follow through in what you say, and then it won't happen. I'll tell you what, I learned at church, you know, uh, troublemakers, there's always troublemakers. They go from church to church to church, but they will move on from your church if they don't get any traction. You know, if there's some kind of discipline, if there's even just the, hey, we don't do that here. You know, we do not talk about each other that way. We don't do that kind of thing here. Uh, If they're really a trouble, if they're a good person, if they want to follow Jesus, they'll just repent and they'll do better and they're great. 
But uh, some people don't. They will They will move on. Same thing is true in your business. You know, somebody who's a bad employee because they won't follow the policies or whatever, you know, you let them go. And uh, it is what you – and if you don't, it just hurts everybody else. And we're seeing that from this level, from what's happening in our policy with Iran and the Middle East right now, all the way down to you pick your problem. Peace through strength is something that we've known through ancient times that – the notion of being strong, it can be used for the wrong purposes, right? Uh, it can be, you know, somebody said, uh, what, Machiavelli, that idea of, you know, a ruler should be feared and loved. There's something true about that. That can be abused or that can be uh, done well. Uh, but there is something that really matters. Is there a place in your life when you just need to assert the authority that God has given you? The place of leadership that you have been granted wherever you are, you get nervous because you don't want to hurt people's feelings. You get nervous because you might have to do a hard thing. Can I tell you something? As somebody who's done it wrong and right, where I haven't done it when I should have, but I've also done it when I should have, it's much better to graciously use the authority you have wherever you find yourself. And I think God has made it that way. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back in just a minute. You can follow us at Pastor Scott Show. You can watch us live right now uh, at kkla.com. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. I mentioned that this weekend, my son, James, he had a tournament, is robotics tournament. So he is in this robotics club or something at school. And uh, he spends a lot of time building robots and then they go off in these competitions. Have you seen this before? I've seen it, you know, on uh, ESPN 12 or whatever one of those cable stations are, you know, where they show the stuff. And, you know, I and you kind of watch these machines go at it with each other and they try to score goals and stuff. But he's a part of this. And I'm so proud of him for this because he's been dedicated. He spends six additional hours a week with his team building his robot and doing all of this stuff. And it's such a productive thing to do. I was talking about how our kids get so into video games or other things that I get the fun of it. I totally get it. But there's an act, there are activities that are interesting and that are healthy that we can encourage our kids to do. And that really we ought to do because I, you know, some of you as adults, you're just playing the video games all the time. If I had time, uh, I would play a lot more. I just don't have time. It just doesn't work into the schedule anymore. I could stay up late and do it. I used to do that, but uh, now I'm old. I just can't, I can't do it. What is an activity, something that you can encourage kids to do that is healthy or also something productive for their life that gets them away from the TV, that gets them away from the things that we just do to sort of, you know, take our time? The video games would be a big one. Or maybe adults, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. So I go to this tournament and you realize there are hundreds of people in the room. And, you know, the thought would not leave my mind about these kids who were everywhere from about, I think, fifth grade. I think there were some a couple of grade school teams and then there were middle school teams. And then James just started high school. And then the high school teams were the real kind of competition is they eventually go, you know, if they make it, they go to 
you know, world events and all this stuff. And there's this pit where they put the robots in. I have no idea what the rules are. I don't have a clue. I was watching it, and it's like when you're watching a weird Olympic sport. You know, they never show you the ones that you want to watch. It's just some weird thing that they got on, like curling. Whenever they have that during the Winter Olympics, I have no idea how curling works. I don't know. I don't don't understand the scoring. I don't really understand the object. You know what curling is? It's the one on the ice where there's like a big target down on one end, and it's this stone that's got a handle on it. And uh, somebody who's like the the custodian or the janitor or something, he's got a broom and he's like cleaning the way for this thing going down the ice. And then there's somebody else who likes to who throws the ice like you're bowling with it. And then there's somebody else who like watches it or something. I've actually I don't think I even want to know how to play that because I think that my rules are better. <laughs> like the whatever ones I'm I just turn the sound off because I don't want to hear it. I just want to announce it myself, you know. Uh why has this person got a push broom? You know, did he work at Kmart? What is and now he has to work on this how does this become a game? Well that's what I felt like because I'm watching these robots and there were these different things that they had to do. There was like the automated version of it where you had to code it so that it would do its own thing. And uh, there was another version of it where you actually would compete against another team and you're trying to push these objects into a goal. But there are other things that you're supposed to do. And I don't get it. You can climb the pole. You can you know, chuck these things over, all kinds of tech. I don't have a clue. And they kept explaining it because they know that none of us who are parents, we don't have a clue what it is. I still don't get it. Uh, so I might come up with my own rules and you know, maybe share some videos. But one of the things I thought about with this is that all of these kids, I kept thinking about this and having the conversation with other parents. These are the kids who are going to have jobs, right? These are the kids who in the future, robotics is such a huge deal. And then I joked, I thought these people are going to have jobs, except then I thought these are the future fast food workers. You know, if you think about it. So uh, in a couple of months, your fast food uh, minimum wage is going to go up to 20 bucks an hour. And a lot of fast food workers are going to be replaced by the robot the robot that is developed by some kid in a robotics team a few years ago. And I thought that's going to be the thing, right? In a few years, what we're going to do is we're going to eliminate all those jobs out of stupidity. And it is going to cause the people who get the jobs to be, have the technical skills to run the hamburger flipper machine, to be, to design it, to fix it when it goes wrong, to, you know, oil the squeaky gear or gadget or whatever happens with that. I saw a a robot that made a pizza for a pizza shop and it makes the whole thing from start to finish it rolls out the dough it spins it around and it puts the sauce on it puts the cheese on all of this done by a robot puts the cheese on puts the toppings on tosses it in the pizza oven it goes through comes out the other side another robot arm grabs it grabs it puts it in the box and it even comes down and slices it and then hands it to the customer that's incredible. And, you know, I'm not sure that it's good. I think that this is the this is the way that we're going. I don't think that there's a way around it. I think that as long as you make it cost effective for companies to invest in this technology, as long as you're making it so it's cheaper to hire the robot than it is to hire the person, then that's the direction we're going to go. And in the meantime, what do you do if you just need a starter job? You know, most kids aren't going to take the robotics class and kind of have maybe that kind of head start. Um, What are some other things? There's other things that I think we should be encouraging our kids to do to develop skills that one day will pay off. Or sometimes, you know, I I watch some of the uh, some of this in the robotics thing and I thought there's some kids here who hate this. 
and they're here and they thought this would be a good idea or maybe mom or dad are forcing them. Dad's an engineer. He's forcing me to do this. And you can tell they hate it and they're not very good at it. But that's also a good thing, right? It's a good thing to discover what you're terrible at. You know, don't, don't worry about it if you're terrible at it or if you hate it. It just means that's not the direction for you. In fact, there's more things for us to, to learn about that we're not good at, actually. Most of us are not good at most things. And that is okay. And the more you realize how important and glorious it is to learn what you're terrible at, the less time you will spend pursuing something that will never turn into anything for you. That, that sounds funny maybe in a world where it's like I should be good at everything and I should excel or if I just had enough practice and practice makes perfect and if I just did this and did this and I took lessons and I invested, you know, some of it, it's just, it's worth saying, I hate doing this. I'm going to find something else because when you find your, your thing, it's just, it's a whole lot better. Same things with gifts. You know, people like to have even, even gifts of the spirit. God has provided you with something that you are particularly good at. And, you know, for some people it's, teaching. For some people, it's preaching. For some people, they just have you know, a gift of helps or they have a gift of discernment. There's some people who are really good at that. And then there's other people who are terrible at those things, but they're good at other things. It's so much better to do what you're good at. And sometimes we, we place a higher premium on certain roles within the church or within our company or certain skills that people have, but it's really kind of wrong because it all works together right? We're the body of Christ. We do things together. In a society, it's a similar thing in that it's not the body of Christ, but you need people to have different interests and to be good at different things because that's how the society works. If we we all can't be engineers, you know, otherwise we can build stuff, but nobody knows what they're for. Uh, We wouldn't be able to have communication with each other, right? We need people who are artists and we need people who uh, can do the math. We need people who can write. We need people who can analyze. We need people who can lead. All of those things matter and they can't be every single person. This begins with our kids to encourage them to do something that is good for them, that they are actually good at. It is really, really important to do that. And you can, you know, if you're a singer or something and you know, if you're a seven on a scale of one to 10 as a singer, you can work really hard and become a nine and be a great singer. That's worth it if you like it. Uh, but if you're a two as a singer, you can work really hard and become a four or a five. You're still a lousy singer. Don't do it. Don't waste your time with that. Go find something else to do. Nobody wants a five singer. You know, maybe a karaoke night at best uh, if you're a five because people put up with uh, whatever. Uh, these things are an incredible part of life. I'm, I was so excited to see all of these kids doing something that they will either love or they will hate or they will, but it'll, it'll cause them to go a certain direction, right? It'll cause them to continue down classwork or co- continue to build something which might turn into a career, or it'll cause them to, to give up and to say, this is not for me. I just don't want to have anything to do with this, which is just as important. It's just as important to say, I don't want to have anything do with this. I have, uh, let's see, Chris from Whittier. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Just a, a few seconds here, Chris. Yeah, Pastor, I really, uh, I love this inspirational idea of infecting kids with a reason to not stare at screens. And yeah. I think it's a recipe. It's a recipe that requires some kind of technical ability that you have to learn and master, but combined with some kind of artistic expression that comes through that technical ability. So there's so many things that fit that profile. The classic one is learning an instrument. Hmm. So kind of music, you get the technical ability and it builds your self-esteem as you become able to do 
more and more complicated things. And then it, the floodgates of your artistic expression open up. But it can also happen with writing. It can happen with podcasting. I That's mean, look right. at what you're doing. You have a lot of technical ability behind the ideas that, that seem like they're just free-flowing through your head. If you didn't have that technical ability you know, <laughs> at the foundation, then those ideas would be lost in space. Well, fortunately, I have technical people all around me who do a great job. Otherwise, I'm just in a room yeah. talking to myself. Yeah, but it takes a team like that, and I think that's the thing that would steal the show from the video games is that recipe of something technical and artistic expression. I think that's exactly right. You know, I was talking about James and the robotics. I'm not sure where he's going to end up with all of that. My other son, John, he just started playing drums. And to be truthful, we're trying to get him to move to another instrument. Uh, (laughs) I have a trumpet, (laughs) and my wife has a clarinet. (laughs) Play one of these, right? Um, But I'm playing him all kinds of different music, a lot of old jazz stuff and just a lot of music. And what I'm hearing him do, he's only 11, he's picking up on whatever the drum line or whatever the percussion line is, whether it's classical music or rock music or whatever kind of music. And uh, there's a part of me right now that's going, you know what? He is picking up on the right things if you want to be a drummer. Dread it. Now I'm I'm looking for those quiet electric drums. Yeah. Well, you know, if a kid can dial into that, it's like they get superpowers um, in their generation. Yeah, it does. So far above all the rectangle stairs that um, they're going to be the leaders. That's right. It's a way to look at it. And that's what I thought about this whole room of people, that these are our leaders. They're going to have jobs because they spend a whole Saturday not staring at a rectangle. Thank you for calling, uh, Chris, and uh, this is the Pastor Scott Show. You can get the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just look for the Pastor Scott Show. Click subscribe or follow, and you can follow us right now on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, X, Twitter, uh, and uh, even TikTok. You can follow us, and uh, just look for at Pastor Scott Show, at Pastor Scott Show. Give us a follow. You can do that right now. We'll be back with Hour 2 of the Pastor Scott Show in just a moment. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.